0: Or go to FailYourWay.com for more info. Now back to the show. Launching a book isn't easy, but it can also launch you into a whole new life. What's important now is that I am a best-selling author, and that's awesome.
1: I found my soul on this journey. I found my purpose, you know, in life.
0: In this show, I talk to authors about how they launched and how it took them to the next level. Hi there, and welcome to episode three two three of Launchpad Pub. I'm your host Anna David, and if you're new to the show, welcome. It's a you know I talk about launching a book, what a book can do for your career, the stuff we talked about in the intro, and I'm back. Uh, I, you may not have known I went away, but I had recorded those episodes that were my book excerpts th- and released them the last three weeks. Thank you for listening to those. If you didn't hear them because you're that new to the show, go back and listen to them. It's the excerpts from my audiobook of my most recent book, which is called Make Your Mess Your Memoir. So today I have a guest. It's somebody that I met when I lived in New York and hadn't spoken to really since I left New York. And he has a very interesting publishing story because he worked behind the scenes as an editor at you know, big five publishers. Then he started writing on his own, had a great deal of success, as in um, over a million copies in print worldwide of his thrillers. And he's written different stuff. He wrote a children's adventure novel. Um, well, he wrote no, he wrote an adventure novel for middle graders and then a ch- children's picture book. So not only does he have an eclectic version of the books he's written, but then he has an eclectic career because then he went and started his own publishing company in 2013. And so we talked we talk about that journey and we also talk about um, we, what we got really into, which was a surprising diversion that I was very interested in, is how to get your book in libraries, because that may sound really boring And it can make a world of difference in terms of the success of your book. He also talks about his launch tips, which involve really building up a name through your expertise before your book comes out. So did I tell you his name? Jason Pinter. Here we go with Jason Pinter. So, Jason, I was reflecting on when we met. Do you remember when it was?
1: I think it was through Andy Levy at Fox News, if I'm not mistaken. I'd rather, I think you were a guest on Red Eye, and I think I was there because I was friends with Andy, who was one of the co-hosts, and I, th- and I think you were there promoting a new book, if I'm not mistaken. That part I don't remember. I I Okay, maybe it's it's a guest then. No,
0: no, no, you're right. I don't remember like what I was there doing, but I remember meeting you in between the green room and the hall. Yes. (laughs) It was the hallway outside the green room. And I had thought that it was Greg, who basically I just knew one of the red-eyed people was like a huge fan of your books. Yeah. thus invited you to the show, but not to be on it, just to hang out.
1: It was weird because Andy Levy, who... We met through a mutual friend of ours, another writer named JT Ellison, and he was a big fan of JT's, and JT's a friend of mine, and through JT, he read my books, liked my, liked my books, and we sort of became friends in a weird way, so he invited, and I liked the show, he invited me to check out the show, but again, not to be on the show, just to kind of like sit there and watch, which, if, having been on Red Eye, they don't really have a studio audience, so it was just sort of me sitting there. <laughs> yeah, you should have been on. But tell, talk, talk to Greg and Andy. That was my. I think. I think over the years, I sort of made a little like, hey, you know, I hang out with you guys enough. We like, we go out and drink sometimes after the show. Like, invite me on. But I think like, if you, they only had authors who were like kind of you know, big time on there, and I wasn't quite big time yet.
0: Okay, first of all, that's not true. They liked <laughs> authors, female authors with good legs.
1: Well, I, and I have neither of those. I'm neither female no. nor have good legs.
0: No, 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 no. Um, but, I mean, I can't speak to your legs, but you're definitely not female, <laughs> and they didn't care about males with good legs.
1: They you checked ca- the boxes off way more than I did.
0: You, well, because they had something they called the leg chair.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You knew all about that <laughs>
0: stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah. I
1: mean, the, I think that the press secretary of the United States sat in the leg chair quite frequently on that show. <laughs> uh,
0: rest in peace, um, red eye.
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: a, a beloved show by some. Yeah, by That's some. Me. Um okay. So and so we we met and then we were gonna work together on a we were a little bit ahead of our time in a way. Mm-hmm. We wanted to put on a book event. Yes. And that ever. I,
1: I think it was about? me, you and Sherry Goldhagen, if Is I'm that? not mistaken. Yeah. And it's sort of like we met at co- like this coffee shop a few times. And I think yeah. we even had, like had a I think we had a, a a schedule we'd put together. And then for some reason it never happened. I think I think maybe you moved out to LA and yeah. we all just sort of got busy with whatever we get busy with.
0: Yes, that's exactly. You have a great memory, um, <laughs> and so and so your history it is extremely interesting to me because it's it's unlike most people's journey in publishing. You started out as an editor, or working your way up to be an editor at places mm-hmm. like St. Martin's. Is yeah. that right?
1: Yeah, so my first job was at Warner Books back when it was Warner Books. Now it's part of the Grand Central Publishing, Hachette, sort of conglomerate. Um, So I started out as an editorial assistant at Warner Books, uh, then got hired at Crown, which is a division of Random House, led to me getting hired at St. Martin's Press. Uh, I took a couple years off to write full-time, but then ended up... uh, in marketing and publicity at Grove Atlantic, which is sort of one of the larger independent presses working for Morgan and who's sort of like a publishing legend. And oh, yeah. then while I was there, uh, I, I wanted to start my own firm. So I think it was 2013, I launched Polis Books. Um, and during all that, of course, I wrote my own books. And my, I have a new one called Hideaway that just came out in March. So it's sort of like, been on both sides of the de- desk now for, God, like 15 years, 10, 15 years. I'm, I'm getting old, I forget.
0: You're, you're way younger than me, I'll tell you that, and you're always going to be. So so did you know when you started as an editorial assistant that you wanted to write your own books?
1: I think I did, because um, I, I sort of got into the industry in a backwards way because I wanted to be a writer. So I remember this distinctly. I, was at, I went to college at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and I had written a very terrible coming-of-age novel that I knew wouldn't get published, but I sort of... I had no idea how to get a book published. I knew nothing about the industry. So I went to the uh, the head of, our, of the English department, and I basically said, like, how do you get a book published? And she said, well, you need a literary agent. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. I guess, like, actors need agents, musicians need agents. I guess I need an agent. So I queried a whole bunch of agents, basically saying nothing, saying, like, hey, would you like to represent me? And, of course, like, you know the industry, like – I nobody even responded to me because I didn't know what I was doing. But then I figured, like, if I'm going to figure out how how the industry works, maybe I'll try to actually work inside of it. So I ended up getting an internship at this boutique literary agency, uh, really got to know the industry there, loved the editorial side of it, and then ended up getting a job at Warner Books, basically fresh out of college. Um, So I sort of got into publishing because I wanted to be a writer, but then ended up loving the publishing side Still, uh, I love the editorial process. I love working with writers, and I sort of always did want to do both. It was just sort of figuring out a way to, to make that happen.
0: And so you were, you were working as an editor, and then you said you switched to marketing. Is that?
1: Yeah. So I was an editor at, at Crown and then St. Martin's Press. Um, I then took a couple years off to write full time. Then when I wanted to get back into, into the industry, uh, Grove Atlantic was relaunching uh, this imprint called Mysterious Press. And I sort of knew the thriller, mystery, crime fiction world uh, backwards and forwards. So uh, it was a job that was not only marketing publicity, but sort of being like the in-house editor too. So given that I'd written my own books and had spent a lot of time promoting and publicizing them, and I knew this community well, um, I figured it was it could sort of like harness my talents in terms of both the editorial side, and I knew the marketing publicity side well. So yeah, it was like it was different in the sense that it was not editorial but I still had those skills, marketing and publicity, that I'd gained from writing my own books and having to promote them.
0: And so since this, this podcast focuses on launches, let's mm-hmm. talk about marketing and publicity from the traditional publishing perspective. Mm-hmm. My experience is that 99% of the writers you're working with are going to be angry at you. <laughs> because and i've learned this really since leaving traditional publishing because you are taught to only focus on the top one percent the books that Mm. the the company already knows (laughs) is going to be successful and what i didn't know at the time but i've been told since is that you you guys i'm going to stop saying that people who work in publicity at book companies are basically told like Uh, not lie to those writers but those writers are gonna ask you why you're not doing anything and you gotta look Mm. like you are and it it doesn't mean anyone's a bad person it means that they know where their bread is buttered and so it's gonna be focusing on the people they already know are gonna be successful which is very unfair to these writers who don't know that sorry it sounds like such an accusatory (laughs) question but you're not doing (laughs) it anymore so wait is that true
1: um yes yes and no um I mean, so I mean, if you look at, like, St. Martin's Press, I was working on their Minotaur mystery line, and it's an enormous line, I want to say, and this, granted, this was probably 10 years ago when I was there, but they publish, I think, upwards of, like, maybe 100 books a year um, and divided that into three seasons. It's, like, 30 to 40 books per season. Out of those 30 to 40 books per season, maybe five of those are really given a lot of marketing and publicity support because those are the books that have essentially been deemed you know, ones that have a better chance of breaking out. Um, I don't quite know what rationale is used for those. Maybe it's a more commercial story. Maybe the author has a certain kind of platform. Maybe it's the next book in an already successful series. But the, yeah, the truth is there's certain, only a certain amount of books really get significant marketing and publicity. That's not to say the other books are kind of left to drown. I mean, each book has their own, generally their own publicist, their own marketing person. And if, if you're a young publicist, and you're given a book that has very modest expectations and you can get it to work, that's a big feather in your cap. So, you know, so having a book that doesn't have a lot of resources behind it, people are still trying to make it work, but it might mean like you're not getting advertising in USA today. You're not getting sent on a tour. You're not getting, uh, you know, um, tchotchkes made up and put into book bags all over the place. Um, so yeah, it's uh there are resources devoted towards certain books as opposed to others. And, it generally is based on commercial viability. And that is such a nebulous term. And especially over the last year or two, when there's been an increasing push towards more diverse books, I think what was considered commercial then is very different from what's considered commercial now. And I think on the good side, there's been a more of a push towards uh, extending what the term commercial, com, uh, commercial viability means that there are right. books that are much more quote unquote viable that maybe weren't considered such beforehand.
0: Yes. I mean, it, 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 the unfortunate part I think is that, you know, a lot of the books that are not given that attention, these are the hopes and dreams have come true, you know, because they're the younger authors and, Oh my God, it's all going to happen for me. And it's, I'm not saying it's the seasoned bitter people that get all the attention, but it it doesn't seem to mean as much and they're going to get the attention. Um, regardless but yeah. anyway it,
1: it depends on the situation um you know i, I would just this you know when i'm from panels people always say like you know what to, if you're a new author what can you expect And i say first off don't unless you got like a million dollar advance, don't expect a book to change your life uh take pride in it do everything you can to help promote it all, and always have a next, your next book ready to go when that one comes out. Have your, essentially, you know, have your next step planned. But don't expect the book to hit the New York Times bestseller list. Don't expect to make enough to quit your job. Look at it as something that you work very hard on that is now going to hopefully find readers uh, and then to hopefully devise a strategy to grow your audience. But to say, like, if you've worked three years on a book and then you get a book deal – the world your world doesn't change automatically unless you're one of those, you know, 1% of 1% who got a tremendous amount of money. Most people don't. The average advance is very, very low. And the reason you hear about people like, uh, Janine Cummings getting a million dollars is because it doesn't happen very often. Right. Um, so just be realistic about your expectations. Uh, but I say like a book is permanent. Like you, you've written a bunch of books. I've written a bunch of books. Like those books are going to be on my shelf forever. And maybe I didn't buy a yacht from them, but at the same time, like I'll be able to show them to my kids and their kids. And like, you know, I can find myself online and that's, that's pretty cool. Like I accomplished something. That's something you can always take with you.
0: Yeah. Very, very true. I think it's all about expectations, but, but the majority of the people who listen to this are, um, hopefully avoiding traditional publishing because that is what I'm Mm -hmm. always preaching. Um, and, and, the, and I, t- I can't tell you the number of people I speak to who, who say, I want to go traditional cause I want to go on a book tour. I want my <laughs> book in stores. I want to to the times list. And you know, what I've learned over the past decade is basically it's easier for me to get books in stores, uh, than it was for me to rely on my publisher to, I didn't know. Right. I just trusted them and they'd be like, Oh, your books in Barnes and Noble for two weeks. And I right. thought, well, that's the best I can do, and and now I can, um, you know, have it in Ingram and ask yeah. people to go order the book from Barnes yeah. and Noble, and mm-hmm. and there's so many strategies that, that 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 make me see how much better independent publishing or self publishing is.
1: Yeah, it's, it depends. I think you're. You're smart enough, and that you really you built a platform for yourself to the point where, when you have a book come out, you have a large number of followers on Twitter or Instagram. You have a podcast; you're out there, so you can get people to buy your book. You have a number of people who are already probably looking forward to your book. The tricky thing is somebody who doesn't have that readership, somebody who either isn't on Twitter or has 12 followers, somebody who just doesn't know how to use Facebook or Instagram. Um, you know, what I would say is like the distribution methods for publishing are night and day what they were 10 years ago. And you can do really well self-publishing, but if you expect to write a book, put it up on Amazon, and it's going to sell 50,000 copies, you're gravely mistaken. you got to think, I think about a strategy. How are you going to reach those readers? Because it's not just having that page and telling your parents to spread the word. Uh, how are you going to drive people to your book? How are people going to know about it? Having a book available isn't the same as actually driving readers to it. But if you have a real strategy like, like you do... You can absolutely do that, and having a book available, like you said through Ingram, it can be available in perpetuity, as opposed to like that infamous sort of like you have two weeks and then you're gone.
0: Yeah. So, what are some of the strategies that you would recommend?
1: Well, I think it it depends on the type of book you're writing. So, I write mysteries and thrillers, and uh, I've 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 only I out of the I think seven thrillers I've published, only one of them I've done myself, and that's a book called The Castle. And the reason I did it myself is because it was sort of a thriller loosely based on the 2016 election um, about a young man who sort of ends up uh, getting um, pulled into the uh, candidacy of this upstart third party candidate who's not unlike our, our current president. Um, I did it myself because when I was shop, I had, I, I when I, I, my agent was going to shop it. Uh, but we decided that if it got, if it did sell, it wouldn't come out for a year and a half, at which point the news cycle is over. Um, I felt it was timely enough that it needed to be out now. Uh, And if I did do it now, I could get a a lot of publicity surrounding the topic, which was about politics and the election, which was in the front of everybody's, you know, to everyone's tongue at that point. And and it worked pretty well. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're writing fiction, you need to think about nonfiction angles for your book. If you're writing a book about Mm -hmm. a character who's obsessed with birding, approach bird watching sites. If you're writing a book, a uh, book about romantic comedy, maybe you can approach uh, dating sites and write blogs for them. If you're writing non, non-fiction, can, is a little easier in the sense that you're already essentially offering prescriptive advice for the most part. And you can approach places that offer prescriptive advice. Um, if you're giving advice on starting a business, there are tons and tons of places, on of websites that like entrepreneur or financial times, places that would want you to write content for There's People are always in need of content. So you have to look at hooks for your book and think, what are people going to be interested in? Who can I write for? And then you just got to, grind it out you got to approach everybody write pitch letters like solicit everyone um one thing you cannot just expect anybody to come to you you have to hustle
0: and so what would be your recommendation i mean it's a little bit easier said than done to get into entrepreneur Mm. i I know with you know billion clips how hard i had to work to get in
1: yeah yeah
0: what do you recommend for someone who wants to break through to one of those big publications
1: well i think you start small and and then go big like if you start approaching the new york times right away Unless you're an absolute genius, unless maybe you will, but there are plenty of great writers who don't get published for whatever reason. I think you start small and build up. You build a readership. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. If you're, if you, that's why I say if you're going to write a book and then if you want to self-publish it. Don't self-publish it and then start the work of promoting. You want to start the work months in advance so that by the time the book, let's say the book is coming out in October, you're reaching out to people in June and July. You want to try to reach out to the long lead magazines. You want to reach out to the website so that when the book comes out, then you can have the pieces drop. And you can essentially start building up clips, building up a resume. Um, It's very rare. You can essentially go right to the top. Start with places that. It will invite you. Maybe a friend runs a blog. Maybe you're somebody, you know, how runs a website. Um, and then just build up clips and hopefully you start to build up traction, become an expert in something. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're writing a nonfiction book, you tell people why you are that person to write that book. So for your book, I mean, you've worked and you not only have written fiction, you've written a bunch of nonfiction, you've co-authored books, you've done podcasts, you can legitimately say you're an expert on certain topics. For somebody else who's writing a book, convince people why you're the expert on that topic, and if you're able to do that and build clips, then you can start to reach out to the bigger place and say, "Here are all the places I've been. Um, you can see how popular they are. Like, you know, and then and make sure you have your pitches ready too. But if you're going to publish a book, you want to start at least three to four months in advance, if not more.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, this this is what I've been thinking about lately. Because I've seen a lot of people be successful and and not successful. And this goes for books as well as building a business. Mm -hmm. It's so bizarre. Yeah. You have to just basically have the confidence or fake the confidence to (laughs) declare yourself a person worth listening to.
1: That's, you're absolutely right.
0: And Mm -hmm. and it's weird because some people, I have seen people's careers blow up in, in two years because they just decided that. And I have watched people... You know, flail around for for 15 years because they never did that. You know, mm-hmm. the public has to find you interesting unless your book yes. is is um, a massive hit out of the gate, and um, and you have to make them find you interesting. And right. the first step is to de- just decide you are. Why not you, <laughs> anyone who's listening? Why not you? We are all experts in something, so stick your you know. You stake in the ground and just say I'm that person
1: no you're I mean you're that's a hundred percent right you need to give people something to hold on to because just saying I have a book out does absolutely nothing there are you know half a million books published nowadays um but you know you watch tv and like I I don't know I watch sometimes on the only news I'm like I know more about certain things than these people do but they're on tv and I'm not so uh that's a big part of it just like you know becoming an expert on something being able to talk about it in an authentic manner and just tell people how great you are and that that sounds simple but the truth is like you know I don't a lot of writers I think aren't built to self-promote but you kind of have to be especially if you're doing it yourself because how else are people going to find out about you if you tell people that you're great and your book backs it up you're going to get more people to listen to you than if you just sort of like put it out there and wait for people to come to you
0: yeah absolutely So, so let's talk about your transition into starting your own publishing company. Mm -hmm. Um, so you decided to do that at first, it was just eBooks, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. It was originally digital only, but then basically what happened was we were getting in some really good books and I had a sales and distribution team behind me and we had a lot of conversations and it was like, listen, we can get these books into stores. We can get some marketing and publicity for them. Um, there's more money if you have a print component. it's certainly the it costs a lot more, but we felt the upside outweighed the downside um and we did it fairly quickly. i think my my goal was always to do start digitally and move into print, but my goal was three years. I think we did it in about less than eighteen months um, and I'm glad I did it we we only we only released maybe two or three titles digital only, and we've basically been doing full on print and digital distribution now for the past six years i'd say
0: and how many books do you release a year
1: between 20
0: and 30 how big is your team
1: it's so it's uh i it's me and one other editor slash uh, acquisitions editor and then we have a team of marketing and sales reps uh, so i'd say overall yeah so so we work with um Uh, Publishers Group West. It it was Publishers Group West. They were then purchased by Ingram. So now it's sort of like PGW slash Ingram. So basically I have a team of sales reps that go out to all the different accounts, whether it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Baker & Taylor, different independent stores, Libraries, Follett, and essentially pitch our books to them. Um, And some books, uh, they want some books, some books they don't. Um, So it's basically me and one other person, a woman named Chantelle Osman, who runs our new Agora imprint, then all these marketing and sales, then we have essentially have sort of a rotating roster of freelancers who do everything from cover design to interior design to IT, and they come in on a case-by-case basis per book. So I'd say like overall, maybe 25 people at any given moment, but only two are really like full-time with the company.
0: So you edit 30 books a year?
1: I do not edit 30 books a year. I, I'd say I edit maybe 10. Okay. I would say I edit 10, Chantel edits 10, and then we have a couple freelancers who edit the other ones. It's just, there's just not enough time in the day. Like, I love editing, but it's a time, it's a very time-consuming process, and I just don't have enough time in the day to edit yeah. every book on our list. I, would, I wouldn't have time for anything else.
0: That's what I was, that's why my mouth was agape.
1: Yeah, no, it, that, that would literally be impossible. I would die. <laughs>
0: And so let me ask you, what is the difference between somebody, because anybody could upload a book onto Ingram, and what <clears> your sales reps do? Are the, yeah. Does that mean your books are not print on demand the way a, a person who just uploaded to Ingram would be?
1: So we we do both. The difference is that if, so, if you upload a book and make a book available through Ingram, it only ships from Ingram if somebody purchases it. Um, for us, we have sales reps that go out to different accounts. Like I said, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores, libraries, and essentially they present them with our catalog. So we have libraries order our books. We have independent bookstores order our books. So we do the majority of our printings are what's called offset, which means that we actually have a printer that prints our books, delivers them to our warehouse, which is in Jackson, Tennessee. And then all the different accounts that order books have them shipped from, from Jackson. But then we also make a lot of our books available, essentially print-on-demand through Lightning Source. Usually that's for smaller quantity books, where like just the it doesn't make sense to do them offset. The costs and production schedules are higher. Um, so the majority of them are done offset, which is real through a real printing press. Then we do have some that are done um, essentially uploaded to Ingram through Lightning Source and available through there. But the idea is that the books are available not just in stores, but also available online at any point. So if you order it, you buy it. But, the same, but we also have distribution into stores and libraries.
0: So when they pitch to Amazon, say, mm-hmm. what does yeah. that mean, that Amazon um, isn't printing on demand the way they do other books? They right. have it in their warehouse. But but
1: it's, That's exactly right.
0: And it's yeah. just, the decision is really just financial because it's not like the book comes any quicker.
1: So basically what it is, so if you're printing through Amazon, I think you're talking about CreateSpace. It's um gone. which is
0: It's now KDP. Oh,
1: it's KDP. KDP. Uh, so KDP is what CreateSpace was, which is basically print on demand, which means that your book is available on Amazon. And if I order a copy of it, it's, it's going to come to me. Um, what we do is we actually have our sales reps who pitch our books to Amazon so that Amazon will say like, okay, what, what they want to do is they want to, they want to make sure this book is going to sell. So, okay, we have, this debut novel coming out next summer, why is it going to sell? And so we say, okay, we're going to have reviews running here. We're going to have interviews here. We're going to have an author profile here. That's going to drive readers to the book. So then Amazon will say, okay, we want to take a hundred books to store in our warehouse in the hopes that people will then order them from us. Um, And if Amazon then buys those hundred books, that means they pay us for those hundred books as opposed to only paying one at a time per per order. Um, so again, it sort of increases the upside for us. And additionally, if they think it's going to do really well, they might give us some marketing. Maybe they'll include us in like their best books of the month. Maybe they'll do a, uh, a Kindle Daily deal for us. Um, if, I think you have a better chance of getting into some of those bigger promotions if they have more skin in the game too. If they take a lot of your copies, they want, they want those copies to sell too.
0: And so um, how did you start this company? Did you raise capital? uh you you make proceeds through royalties
1: I, I it was all my i didn't take any outside funds i'd say it was like 90% my own money and then my dad shipped in a little bit um and that was all it i didn't have any outside investors because i'm the only full time empl- i was the only full time employee then and our distributor takes they take a percentage of our sales so they don't, we don't we're not paying anyone um, salaries at this point, our overhead costs were reasonable. Um, the, the, our biggest expenses are literally printing. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't start the company until I knew the industry fairly well. I knew the marketing side, I knew the policy side, I knew the editorial side. I was confident enough that I knew the community enough that I could go after writers. I knew a lot of literary agents who could pitch me. The biggest, pro- the biggest issue I had was operations. Um, I'd never run a publishing company. I didn't really know much about distribution. I didn't know much about finances because I was never on that side of it. So it was a bit of a crash course in sort of publishing economics a little bit. Um, and I probably, I wish I'd maybe taken another year to learn that better before I started it. You know, it's sort of one of those things like I ran before I could walk. Um, but I was confident enough for better or worse that I, that I could do it. Um, I would not have done it had I not spent. 10 years in the industry beforehand because I was at least confident that even if I didn't know the operations, I knew enough of the other stuff that I could pick up on it pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about getting books into libraries. If somebody listening wants to get their book into a library, Mm -hmm. what what would you recommend they do?
1: So having it available on Ingram is only a start. The issue there is that nobody knows to order it. So what we do, for example, um, we have our, our on our side. We have our representatives pitch to Baker and Taylor. Baker and Taylor is the biggest distributor for libraries. So is Ingram. Um, the so we have people that actually go out to pitch the libraries. The best thing you can do if you're a self-published author is to uh, contact your biggest library branches. If you're if if you if you in, like, write letters to them, set up talks at your local libraries. Obviously, right now, it's hard to set up talks, but maybe they have Zoom meetings, things along those lines. Um, what you want to try to do is get into the larger library systems as opposed to the branches, the individual branches, because these larger systems order a lot. They might order 60 copies or 100 copies. Um, and then a lot of people find out about that. That, that spreads a lot of word of mouth. Um, but if you're doing it essentially almost a book at a time, you want to contact as many libraries as possible. What you also want to do is you want to have a, essentially a marketing and PR one, one pager. Um, you want to get reviews. You want to get word of mouth. If you have some clips that you've written about, like, like we've been talking about, like positioning yourself as, as an expert, if you've written some blogs or articles, attach those to it. Essentially don't just go to the library and say, please stock my book, but say, I'm so and so. I wrote a book about this. I'm an expert in the field. Look at all these reviews and articles I've written. Your patrons will be interested in this book. Um, you want to give them a reason to buy your book, not just a reason to have you know them throw it in your your email in the in the you know <laughs> in the trash.
0: And when you said larger, it's good to get mm-hmm. into larger library systems. Yes. Does that mean people shouldn't go to their local?
1: They, ab- they absolutely, they absolutely should. You just, I sort of look at book publicity and marketing distribution as sort of like like baseball in a way, where there's singles, doubles, triples, and home runs. Uh, you want all of that. Um, going to your local library and getting them to order two copies is, it's a single, it's great, but it's not gonna move a ton of copies. Getting into a larger library system might be a triple or a home run because maybe they'll order 25 or 50 copies. And if you spend five hours a day getting singles, it's, you know, you look at the, the cost benefit analysis and it's not very high. You're going to be doing a lot of work for like, you're going to, you're probably going to be spending more money promoting your book than you are actually making off of your book. So what you want to try to do is you want to try to put yourself in a situation where you can ship the book in bulk. And part of that is getting to larger systems, um, approaching local. I mean, you, you also want to approach your local bookstores, um, The biggest issue a self-published author has with local bookstores is that most self-published books are not returnable because they're print on demand. So a local bookstore doesn't want to take 20 copies of your book and then sell two of them and then they're stuck with 18 copies they can't sell. So if you're going to approach a local bookstore, you want to tell them how you're going to sell all the copies. If you want them to take 20 copies, how are you going to sell those copies? Um, do you have a local network? Are your friends going to go pick up the book? Are you going to get maybe a profile in the local paper, um, an interview somewhere? Um, so books, local bookstores can order a lot of copies. They just want to know that you have a way to drive people to the store. Hmm.
0: Hmm. That's great. And you said that you try to get it in Baker. You you pitch to Baker and Taylor. Why not just Ingram if Ingram carries library books? Library? They
1: so they so ba- this is Baker and Taylor. Their retail side has changed a lot recently. I'm not even sure if they do retail anymore. Um, the, the, issue, the difference is that Ingram essentially makes a book available. Baker and Taylor actually goes out and solicits books. So the difference is that in Ingram, the book is going to be available. But again, if you're a library in Peoria, Illinois, why are you going to order a debut novel from someone? You, have, you don't know who that is. You don't know who, anything like that. However, like if our sales reps go to Baker and Taylor and say, this is a great debut novel. We have reviews lined up in Publishers Weekly and Library Journal and a profile here. Your reader, your patrons are going to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's the biggest difference is, is sort of, and that's the big difference between make, having a book available and actually being able to drive people to want to read the book. Um, how is some, like if you live somewhere, like, yes, like all your friends and family and neighbors in your local community are going to want to read your book because they know you. But that's not going to sell a whole lot of books in the long run. How are you going to reach the people? If you live in New York, how are you going to reach people in California or Seattle or Boston or Washington, D.C.? You always need to look at sort of how are you going to reach beyond your local network? Um, I think a lot of too too many people just sort of like they have a Facebook page and they send an email to blast to their 30 closest friends and assume that's going to sell 50,000 copies and it's not. How are you going to drive people that don't know who you are to want to be able to buy your book?
0: Yeah. An interesting uh, technique that I learned from one of my clients was she, you know, through social media, we have people all over the world. So ask your people to go and order it from their like Mm -hmm. local bookstore, because then it's not you hyping it in there. You know, and she had people go in and say, hey, I'm going to do a book event. Yeah. uh, And I'd rather have my people order it from you than from Amazon, because those are the magic words.
1: That's another thing, and that's actually a really important thing, is that you want essentially like what I call like a home base. Um, so if you live in a community with a local bookstore, you want to make it your home base so that if anybody wants like an autographed copy of your book, they can order it directly from that bookstore. So you go to that bookstore and say like, uh, you know, obviously things are up in, the, up in the air right now with the pandemic, but under normal circumstances, you might say, hey, I'm going to have an event with 20, 25 people. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on my website a link to your store. And I'm going to tell everybody on social media that if they want a signed copy of my book, they can order directly through you. That gives the store an incentive to not only sell your book, but to keep restocking your book too. And then word of mouth spreads. But independent bookstores, like, they, love, they, they love feeling loved, as, as does everybody. And if you can show as a local author that you want to support them too, they're going to do a much better job of supporting you.
0: That's great. And let me ask you something to somebody who's listening and goes live, we're just going back a step. Libraries, who goes to libraries? <laughs> Why would I care? What is the significance of getting in a library? Is it all word of mouth?
1: I would, you'd be shocked at how much of our business we do through libraries. I would say maybe 35 to 50% of our, of our print business is done through libraries. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of libraries in this country and they all order books. Um, so not only is a word of mouth, but libraries pay for those books. So if your book gets into the, you know, the Seattle public library, they're paying for every single copy they order. Um, maybe it's not going to be to the same ex- you know, same extent. It's not as libraries aren't as sexy as bookstores to, to, to make it simple They're not, but they buy a lot of books. We, we sell them a lot of books through Baker and Taylor and through Ingram. Um, you know, maybe it's not necessarily a word of mouth as much. It's not, you know, you, Seeing your book in the stacks in the library is not as sexy as like posting an awesome picture on Instagram from your cool book launch party. But if 500 bookstores order your book, that's a lot more people than probably show up to your book party. Um, so they do order a lot of books, and they're definitely an avenue that I think probably a lot of self published authors don't think about because they don't necessarily, again, the bookstores just, it just sounds cooler. But libraries should not be overlooked in terms of the numbers they can order and the word of mouth that could read. Like every library also does reading series. So if you're a local author, see if you can do a reading series at your local local bookstore. Again, if you're an expert in something, offer to do a seminar. They'll buy books. And then even if like people can't make it to that seminar, they'll watch it online and then order the book. There are so many ways you can work with your local library.
0: God, that's really great. But okay, and I know I seem abnormally fixated on Baker and Taylor, but can (laughs) the average person, you said you have sales reps that go there. Can the average person just pitch?
1: Yes, the average person. I I believe Baker and Taylor has. Um, I, I want to say there's like a, a forum on their website where you essentially you can apply to pr- get your book into sort of special promotions. To do that, though, I think you need to essentially have a bit of a, a publicity strategy. Um, the idea is they want to know how you're going to drive people to buy your book. So what is your book about? Uh, Why are people going to come to it? Are you an expert in a scenario? Are you getting any reviews? Are you doing any publicity? Are you doing any talks or articles? I mean, if they're going to order X number of copies of your book, again, same thing, they want to make sure those books don't get returned. Right. Um, So let them know. And that's, again, I think this is why people should start thinking about this months before the book comes out, because you want to be able to say this to them well in advance. You don't want the book to come out and then play cat. Like, you don't, when like when this when the gun goes off. You want to be running, not starting to run then. Um, well, but
0: but a, bu- a library could still be interested in acquiring a book. at the launch.
1: At, at, that's true, and this uh, I do think this is one of the benefits of, of self publishing is that sort of publicity can happen at any time. In traditional publishing, as as you know, the vast majority of publicity mark. Oh,
0: you, so, you went away. What? You, you moved, and suddenly you've gone silent.
1: Uh, you're talking about me, or?
0: Yes, i was <laughs> about you. I went, what do you mean
1: I went silent? The connection
0: got bad.
1: Oh, the connection, oh, the connection got bad. I think you meant like, I'm like, seriously emotionally silent or something like that. Can you, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. So, yes. Um, it used to be, you know, publicity marketing was all built up within like one month of publication. Um, so if you didn't get that publicity boost within a month, you were dead. That's different now, like you said, now the books are available through Ingram, they can be ordered at any time. That said, I do think people still want to know, like, is this good book going to be buzzy? Are people going to be talking about it? And if you can sort of group a lot of publicity and marketing hits together early on, that's probably going to create more buzz than if you sort of spread them out over six months. So you do want a bunch of stuff early on to really like build a a, a lot of buzz, but then you do want to keep it going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. If people want to get more of your wisdom, there's like a crazy sound. Don't laugh.
1: No, no. I was laughing you were saying people want to get more of my wisdom. I've never heard anybody say if people want more of my wisdom.
0: Get used to it. How can people find out more about you, about Polis Books, et cetera?
1: So, if they want to find out about me, uh, I'm at jasonpinter.com. That's my personal website. You can find out about my books, about me, upcoming stuff. For Polis Books. It's a uh, polisbooks.com, and that's p o l i s books.com. Um, and that you can find out about our books, what we have coming up, uh, news, things along those lines. And I'm on social media at uh, at Jason Pinter, Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm not. A, like, if anybody wants wants to teach me how to use TikTok or, or Snapchat, I'm all I'm all ears. But. <laughs>
0: yeah me too let's do a zoom lesson with the two of us um well jason (laughs) thank you so so much this has been so informative true
1: i think it's good to finally catch up again after all this time and then congrats on everything you're doing congrats on the new book
0: thank you thank you uh libraries if you're listening you can order it um (laughs) thank you so much jason
1: absolutely my pleasure
0: oh and thank you all for listening